one of my biggest challenges is how to set the correct pace because we are always impatient and we are ambitious by nature but then there's certain velocity that the company should process. EuroClear is a hidden jewel in the crown because we are the platform for capital markets. So it's 32 trillion of securities that we have on our books. So we could say that we do the GDP of Belgium before the lunchtime each day. At our core, we are actually more and more becoming a technology company. So already half of the people are working in IT. More and more processes are going to be digital. As a big Star Wars fan, I would stand to say may the force be with you, because I truly believe in that. Never stop exploring, so always challenge yourself, go out of the comfortable zone and just keep trying. Don't be afraid, have no fear, so use the force, as I would tend to say. This is CRNA TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Michal Paprotsky, who is the CTO and co-CIO of EuroClear. A very warm welcome, uh, Michal. Good morning, Hendrik, and many thanks for having me here. Michal, you have a master's degree in economics from the Gdansk University. You have an MBA from the Warsaw University of Technology Business School, uh, and you started your career about 20 years ago. For 16 years, you worked for ING in Poland and you joined EuroClear in 2018 as the, uh, as the global CTO. So, Michal, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, who you are, what's your background, and how did you arrive in this position uh, at EuroClear? So indeed, my background is in economics. So I come from business side, which is not a typical walk of life for a CTO uh, career. But I believe there are some advantages in the sense that it's easier for me to connect the business side and the IT side. And there are some disadvantages. So I need to more rely on the engineers, architects, and be savvy on the technology uh, side. Yeah. I'm coming indeed from Poland. So I used to do career first with venture capital firm. Uh, for the startup business. Then I joined ING and I stayed there quite a long time building the technology center for the entire group that was operated out of Poland. And we grew from employee number one, which was myself, and it was about 1,000 people when I was leaving. Wow. And since two and a half years, I relocated to Belgium and I've taken a group CTO role for uh, EuroClear. So I changed the industry, the country, and the work environment. Okay. And how would you, um, for those of us who don't know EuroClear, how would you describe uh, what EuroClear does and, and, and in a couple of sentences and what is it that EuroClear does really, really good? EuroClear, it's not a street brand. So most mm -hmm. of the people are actually asking me, so what is this strange animal? But I would say it's a hidden uh, jewel uh, in mm -hmm. the crown because we are the platform for capital markets. So what that means is that we are connected to all the financial institutions. So the central banks and the payment system and the stock exchanges, the large custodian banks, and we are holding securities on our uh, depot. And then we are making sure that the transactions, so-called delivery versus payment, are secure and always on. So we are the Facebook of capital markets, I would say. So having this secure vault and connectivity for the whole yeah. capital markets ecosystem. And it's a large business. Uh, I'm sometimes saying, the, and, and I know that um, that might sound impressive, that if you look at the volumes that we are processing, it's actually quite extreme on the size. Mm -hmm. So it's 32 trillion of securities that we have on our books. And then if you look at the settlement instructions that we are processing, so we could say that we do the GDP of Belgium before the lunchtime each day, <laughs> or we could do the European Union uh, GDP each week, or the words GDP, we are processing each month. So if you look at that, that's the word of super secure and super prudent systems that are processing extreme volumes. Okay. So it's a European company or you, it's, it's a global company now? We started down in Brussels 50 mm -hmm. years ago, and that was meant to be a European company in the sense, as the name indicates, EuroClear. Yeah. We started with Eurobonds because that is yeah. where the capital market of consolidated Europe was emerging. These days, of course, we have a footprint in US, we have footprint in Asia, and we are actually growing uh, all the capital markets. So we call it global reach. Mm -hmm. And within that, we are reaching to different countries, connecting them 
uh, to the world economy and to the capital markets. So, for example, recently we are discussing with Saudi Arabia or with China. So we are there again as the master connector in between the issuers of debt, which could be the companies or the governance, and the investors, which could be the insurance companies or large custodian banks. Yeah. Now, all organizations these days are under pressure, pressure to change, to transform, or, or let's call it to reinvent their business. Every business needs to reinvent themselves every so many years. So what are the current pressures that your clear is under? What are the drivers for change in your organization? I would say that we are in quite a privileged position because we have respectable uh, financial standings and we have trust and it's a network effect. So from that angle, it looks at first sight like it's actually a very proven model and well-oiled machinery. So why would you ever change that? But yep. then if you take a bit of broader view, then you see some leading indicators. So one could be that our customers, which are the largest banks uh, worldwide, actually having quite a big cost pressure. So due to net interest margin and the wave of regulations, they are now more than ever expecting us to be efficient. So also to optimize our operations, to, to return the value and the dividends towards them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The second one is coming from the regulators themselves. So you are getting new wave of regulations that you shall be even better in control, being that operational risk, liquidity position, credit risk, or cyber standing, which forces you to have more insights into the company and be able to prove that you're in control. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, I actually believe from my CTO hat that that could be the biggest one. We see disruption coming to capital markets and I'm coming from universal banking system. So it's almost like what we observed 10 years ago for retail and commercial banking. I see this wave coming to capital markets. So we see, for example, some fintechs that are starting digital native based on the blockchain technology that could disrupt part of our business. So yep. the intimacy with the customers. So for example, blockchain is a perfect technology to do issuer services. So each time that you create a new bond on the capital markets, it's a rather painful process full of uh, frictions. Mm -hmm. And then the blockchain in theory could disrupt some of our services or be very close to the uh, issuers. So we see these three things, uh, I believe. So the pressure to be efficient, the wave of regulations, and the technology that could disrupt us. So that okay. makes us producing a new business strategy, which put a pressure on IT that we should change for the long term. So let's talk a little bit how, how business is reacting to this pressure. So you're clear, used to be an, a bit of an easygoing, very high tech, high volume, uh, but but pretty easy going, but now there's, there's pressure. So how is business reacting to that? Oh, with optimism, I believe, because we <laughs> have a nice proven track of records of reinventing ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we started with bonds, then we went to equities, then we went to derivatives, then we went to fund business. So you already see, I'm a newcomer, so it's only two and a half years for me in the firm. But if I look at my colleagues, especially on the business side, they are actually super experienced to mm -hmm. anticipate the future coming and also have the reflex to think in a broader perspective. So if we look at this wave, of course we are cautious because you cannot be arrogant and you always need to assume that uh, the future is changing. But we are looking at the strategy, which would mean, okay, let's keep the traditional settlement business where we have volumes. It's a bit of cash cow, if you look at the McKinsey matrix. Yeah. And then maybe not pivot, but we would like to augment that with more data services. So how about if we offer not only resilience processing, which was the traditional business, which is very much based on volumes and unit cost, how about we go into data? So having all these insights between the buyers and sellers, we could offer them data services like what is your liquidity position? What is your risk exposure? What are other peers doing? And this insight is a value added that the customers are looking for. But again, in order to deliver that, you need to have brand new IT capabilities. So mm -hmm. that's the IT of the future, not the IT of the past. But it goes hand in hand, traditional yep. business, settlement volumes, and the new business more based on data and insights. Yeah. So data and technology is basically the business of Euroclear, right? It's money, but uh, it's data, it's, it's, it's technology. So what are the, the, the changes in IT that are happening right now? What are the, the, the IT transformations that... Um, 
you and the teams are implementing at Euroclear? It's a large transformation, I would say, and that is what brought me into the company. And I'm very much excited by uh, what is happening. Uh, because what you see is that we are actually slowly but surely changing all the aspects. So, for example, from traditional outsourcing, you are looking for more intimacy because if you implement DevOps and all the agile transformation, you want to be very close to the business. Yeah. From relatively long cycles of a predictable settlement business, you are actually shrinking and you are exploring more with time to market, cooperating more with fintechs. So that makes the need to open up. Opening up means that you need to decouple architecture, that you need to deploy your applications into the public cloud, that you need to expose your APIs. And in order to do so, you need to attract new wave of talent. So the full stack engineers and the software engineers that have the capabilities that we are looking for. And then that requires an even more intense dialogue with the business. So I believe gone are the days when you had the business side and the IT side. Right now, it gets more and more blended. So it's quite an overwhelming, I would say, set of <laughs> changes that we are making. And if I may, one of my biggest challenges is how to set the correct pace, because we are always impatient and we are ambitious by nature, all my colleagues, all my peers and partners. But then there's certain velocity that the company should process. So finding the right balance, it's actually a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Let's talk a, a moment about business and IT. I mean, it, it, it used to be that these were two different animals that had to live together and, and, and one supporting the other. Not anymore these days. What is the, what is the operating model? What is the, 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 the collaboration model, uh, business and IT in, in Euroclear today? It has changed. So it used to be we have commercial discussing with the customers, then you go to product, then we build the products, and then we send over the requirements to IT. And very often IT is translating functional requirements into non-functional requirements. And then you have offshore development center that is doing the coding for you. Yeah. So that's a very traditional process, which is, again, it's good for traditional business. If everything is very much predictable and if you manage for quality and repetitive processes and not that much for the innovation age uh, or for the time to market. Yeah. These days, it's, it's, it's a totally different ballgame. So we have product owners on the business side and slowly but surely we start to manage with portfolios. So in the portfolios, we see what are the big bets? How do we put our millions of euros of investments? What do we believe in? And then we go more into quarterly business reviews of the quarterly cadence of agreeing on priorities, putting resources and delivering some increments. And then actually cooperating with our customers to making sure that what we bring, uh, what we deliver brings value. Okay. Uh, in, in numbers, how, how big is your clear in total number of people and how many people do you have in IT? Euroclear is approximately four or 5,000 people, depends on the count. So it's yeah. approximately 5,000 and IT is roughly half of the company. Awesome. So we are this financial institution, it's called financial market infrastructure, highly regulated. And mm -hmm. people could think about ourselves as this financial player. But at our core, we are actually more and more becoming a technology company. So already half of the uh, people are working in IT. And I actually believe that this proportion would change in favor of IT. So more and more processes are going to be uh, digital. Okay. And out of these, let's say, 2,500 2, people in IT, could you put a number on them? How many are already uh, in, in, let's say, the, the DevOps, the biz DevOps mode of working? It's a very tricky one. Uh, mm -hmm. To be honest with you, we only started recently. So we are mm -hmm. in the journey and I believe we are not even halfway down okay. the journey. If we measure by how much of the delivery, how much of our throughput is delivered in the agile way, then it's approximately one third of that. And again, okay. and growing. But as mentioned before, because it's a regulated high trust business, we really cannot go big bank. It's not the industry that you would, you know, put the switch uh, overnight. So we are actually happy with this pace because if you look at that, like two years ago, it was 10%. Four years ago, it didn't even exist. So I believe compared to other financial institutions, 
we have a bit of late mover advantage with experience of all the people around the table that did similar transformations in the previous lives. So I believe we are going faster than average. Okay, so speed to market, more innovation, more data services, um, uh, supporting your clients under the cost reduction regulations and so on. So many things are changing and, and you're clear, like you said, in the history already had to reinvent and now also is reinventing itself uh, again. Um, now, if we reinvent business, we, we need different things. We need technology, we need strategy, we need, we need different things to be successful in, in reinventing transformation organizations. Nowadays, we also need to reinvent the way that we work. Uh, so that's what I would like to focus uh, with you on a little bit. Let's talk about how the workplace, the workforce and workflows are, uh, are changing nowadays, especially on the depression of the pandemic that we, uh, that we have lived uh, under. So what is your view on the workplace of the future? I mean, we, the way the, the, the role of the office has completely changed. We all moved into home offices and so on. What is the current state of workplace uh, use at Euroclear? And what's your vision how this is gonna evolve in the, in the coming years? First of all, I guess we are lucky actually, uh, because the company was very traditional uh, when I started. So it was like, you should use your desk and the locations, and we didn't even allow our employees to work out of home. We we're not okay. equipped to do so. And actually just before the pandemics break out, we did a very large Office 365 project when we moved everything into laptops, everything into cloud and allowing for videos and live collaboration. And that actually pays us very well. So what used to be a bit unimaginable before seems to be a new normal. So from that angle, I don't want to be misunderstood here, but from that angle, actually the COVID-19 phenomenon is helping the companies to reinvent ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because think about that, like right now, we don't even know where certain employees are located. So we could tap to the resource pool of various countries and we could be much more flexible these days. Yeah. But again, you need to have proper technology and you need to have proper security processes to allow for that. So we had only minimum disruption. So when the pandemic started and we are very close to, to you know, like the governments and the regulators, everyone was very fascinated and proud of us how easy we could uh, adapt to the situation and believe me i had some sleepless nights <laughs> so back in march last year so it's, it's been exactly one year when we're thinking like okay what would be the impact on production how do we do system monitoring all the 24 7 duties how do we do the regular drills so we have heavy overnight processes we have weekend works we have disaster recovery tests then all the users and employees, how could they handle the new normal? Yeah. And luckily, uh, we adapted very fast. And I believe it's here to stay. So now, right now we have a program which is called FlexE. So what is the flexible way of co uh, collaboration? And we are thinking about a blended model when office is the creative space. So whenever you have your team meeting, your offsite, your design sessions, your sprint planning or review, then of course it's much better to be with a whiteboard and all together. But for a vast majority of day-to-day -day business processing or your own work, you're actually better off to work from home. But we want to offer this uh, choice to our employees because some of them actually like the fact that they could go to the office and have a bit of quiet space and maybe better work-life balance, this separation. Some of them find it very flexible and very convenient that you don't waste time commuting or you have much more flexibility in your daily routine. Yeah. So I'm actually fascinated by the way that it's changing. And the market is very, you know, split on that. You have Goldman Sachs of this world saying, you know what, go back to the office because we are losing our competitive edge. While you have some other companies like Facebook saying, you know what, you could stay at home forever. We don't mind. Okay. So I'm actually curious how the story would develop. So what is your, your guesstimate that that's, that's going to happen? And, and let's, in Euroclear, are you going to go 50-50, people working half-time home, half-time in the office, or 80-20? What's, what's your, um, your guess? We are discussing that as we speak. I would say it would be around like two days at the office, 
making sure that we are there together so that we maintain the proximity. You have new people coming. We are hiring a lot of people, especially on the IT side. So for them to blend into the team, they really need this social surrounding as well. While three days, you are really better off. You could work from home. But again, I don't believe it should be imposed because it's very much based on your individual preference. But you should have the possibility to choose. So that means that you will have half of your offices being empty all the time, so that you you need less office space, and that offices are going to be more used as collaboration, creative spaces. How do you look at that? That actually comes very handy because just before the pandemics, we had a reflex that we are growing and we need more office space. So we go WeWork or we rent another building because if you go agile, you actually you are less efficient in terms of facilities. What I mean that the traditional office layout is that you just put desks and you optimize that. You have, I don't know, 10 square meters per employee and you're good. If you go agile, then you need, you know, all the cozy sofas and the whiteboards and the Kanban boards and so on. So you need more space and you need better sound control because people are starting to interact more intensively. So they are more noisy. So then you need more space. So actually, luckily with the current system, if permanently some of the people would be at home, then you could create a different surrounding at the office. And we already changed some of the floors in our head office in Brussels. So we are waiting for the employees to come over and see if they like the new design because we have that in mind. And again, we are inspired, you know, by all the Spotify's and all the Silicon Valley uh, companies. So I hope our employees would appreciate what they will discover after the pandemics. So the, the workplace is going to be um, uh, hybrid, let's say. So we're going to work uh, again at the office and that's going to have a different function and it's going to be cooler and, and, and so on. But also we're going to uh, still uh, continue to work at home. Do, we, do you also see a, a change in the, the home office? Are we going to give people new tools? Are, are they going to build their private home offices? How do, you, how do you see that? Because people can't continue to work at the kitchen table, can they? Correct. So we support our employees so we can reimburse a chair, a desk, you know, a proper screen, a web camera so that you're comfortable. But again, if you could afford that, if you're good accommodation wise, then you find it relatively easy to adjust. But for Mm -hmm. some of our employees, they really don't like that setup that much. When we did a survey, because we are using this engagement tool, so we are asking very frequently for feedback from our employees, then what you would see, it's like, two thirds, maybe three quarters would say, okay, it's never been better. So I'm actually okay out of home. I like the flexibility, but one quarter, let's say, would say, okay, we struggle a bit. So I'm really looking forward until I could be back to more normal or more traditional routine. But again, we are supporting our employees so that they are comfortable and they, we maintain also the work safety. Okay, let's talk about workforce. So you say that you're hiring, but but now all of a sudden location is 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 to a certain extent irrelevant. So you can hire people from around the globe if, if they can work a lot from uh, from wherever. Um, what is your view on the on on the how the workforce is gonna uh, change at your clear in the future? I believe the previous approach or the more traditional approach is that you optimize the costs and the skills. So you have all kinds of sourcing or staffing strategies, which are pretty much hard-coded. So we want to have the design part close to where you are and consisting mainly of internal employees, while you could offload some non-critical functions or maybe you could offload the functions where where there's an abundant market practice. Mm-hmm. I believe that's going to change. But again, it's not only COVID phenomenon, it's mostly the advent of Agile and new business proximity. If, because if you want to drive for efficiency, then you use the old paradigm. If it's only about pure efficiency, because that's the word of Lean Six Sigma and optimizing your cost and all the operational excellence. And that's where we mm-hmm. started in our careers, yeah. I believe. These days, if you want to bring more value, you manage for outcome, then I believe, ironically, you could do with less people, but you need to have more qualified. So that is where the war for talent starts. And then you don't mind to have even more internals. You really want to use all the capabilities that you have available worldwide. So we have offices in Stockholm, in Helsinki, in London, 
in Paris, in Hong Kong, in New York, and we are looking for talent wherever it's uh, possible. And I see that shift coming from a hard-coded, efficiency-driven, predominantly, mm-hmm. into more value, talent, and especially in, on the IT part, more engineering skills, because that is the, the next big thing if you want to really go digital. So, you're recruiting. Let's take this opportunity. Why would somebody come and work for Euroclear when they can go and work for a fintech? What's the, how do you attract uh, top talent? You know what? That, that's a very good question because I believe it's the best of two words. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you have this respectable employer that is, you know, like very ethical, very stable, very predictable. It's a nice work environment and a very friendly culture, almost like mm-hmm. a family type of uh, company culture. But it's an enterprise world. So you have the processes, you have the budgets, you have the big picture, you have the large projects that turns you on. On the other hand, we are actually very fast in adjusting and we have the culture of, you know, just talk to several people and you could make it happen. So what brought me in is actually the ability to make an impact, which is then sometimes hard in a smaller companies because you struggle with resources and your day-to-day. So at Euroclear, you have the comfort of not having to focus on that all the time. And at the same time, we are not this super large, you know, multinational uh, corporation when you have thousands of employees worldwide and then matrix reporting lines and then very long processes. So I believe we are in the sweet spot of in between and we have the ambitions uh, to go digital and we have the credibility of doing some marvelous things uh, before. So that's a bit of sales pitch, but truly that is what brought me into the company. Are you recruiting differently now than, than a couple of years ago and maybe more diverse, more international, more, uh, more I don't know, different types of background of, of uh, what people studied, uh, academic degrees and so on? How is that changing? You know what? You always look for energy. You always look for this, like, is there a potential to grow? Do you have the curiosity? Do you want to learn fast? Can you adapt? Are you sensitive to some culture? So I believe on diversity, the company is again marvelous. So within these 5,000 people, we have 83 nationalities. So that's really respectable. And you have people from all walks of life. So that I admire very much. And so that I believe we always had in the DNA of the company. What might be changing is that we are looking more and more for technical skills. So right now, no matter if you're business or IT, again, the differences are getting blurred these days. We are looking for people that are technology savvy because the company is changing. And you could go to risk management, you could do to go to commercial, you could go to finance, but more and more, you need to have these new digital skills. And that is where the accents are changing. So we are reaching out maybe to a bit younger population and you are reaching out to all the geographies you could handle because some markets like you know Belgium is a relatively small country so you cannot find all the population that you're looking for which a bit forces you to open up and take stock of what you could get worldwide which yeah. I believe it's very good so Michal we talked about the workplace we talked about workforce Let's talk about a workflow and how we're automating um, the processes in our companies. I think we're at the advent at, uh, in, 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 uh, of, of a new wave uh, of automation that's taking place right now with, with RPA tools and citizen development and AI and low-code, no-code and, and so on and so on. How do you look at that? What are, uh, what are for you uh, the current trends and what are you adopting uh, within Euroclear of this uh, and to get to a fully automated enterprise. Uh, what's your view on that? That's a big change and it's, it's a bit funny because we have Xerox in the 70s coming with paperless office and mm-hmm. here we are like half a century later and still one of, oh, one of the first system shocks in the massive teleworking was, whoa, but we still keep receiving letters. Or some transfer agents are actually sending their instructions via, watch out, fax. (laughs) Still today. We can do that. (laughs) Yes, still today, like 2021. Uh, So I believe COVID is helping with a wave of digital because like, how do you process that? Or, you know, like we are in the culture of many signatures. 
Mm-hmm. So I was getting DHL, like every second day you should sign this contract and you should do that. And right now, one year in the making, guess what? So we have all the beauty of tools for digital workflow that we implemented record fast without even looking at each other in a fully remote context. And yeah. I believe that's a really game accelerator. I saw some McKinsey stuff which claims that actually digital accelerated by 10 years because of the pandemics. So even the companies that were saying, okay, we don't have such, uh, you know, B2C or B, uh, or customer proximity, so it's not an immediate need, then you see, okay, that's a game changer. And I see that happening vastly. So we are investing in robots and we are truly reinventing our processes, but not like PowerPoint story, but we really mean that in the sense that you cannot maintain the current processes. So it's not making them a bit more efficient but how do you get rid of some processes? How do you build yep. that more into the IT side? Can you give a couple of examples where you're implementing software robots, where RPA is, is taking away repetitive work from people and where you can automate that? We have the nature of you know, back office of factory processing. So we actually process a lot of discrepancies and a lot of exceptions because we offer fluidity for the system while we actually have frictions. So there are different formats. For example, the tax residencies and taxes are never standardized across countries. So it's actually very important for us to process everything accordingly. So that's why we have robots for OCRs because you have input coming in all kinds of shapes and format. Then you do reconciliation of that and you could check the tax residency. The, another good thing for robots, and I'm talking about unattended here, is that you could do anti-money laundering or you could do some sanctions checking. So again, that requires you to compare the prospectus of the issuer, the data that is coming from all the rating agencies, our own regulations. And again, it's an unstructured data which is coming with many formats. And it would be impossible to scale your business by adding people because then your operations would be overblown. So that's a perfect case when robotics process automation, it's actually the next big thing because you are saving fortunes on, the, on that. So Michal, let's talk a bit more about RPA. Do you see that as, as a solution or as a threat in, uh, in the business today? It depends how you treat that. If RPA is your only solution, so you have these manual labor intensive processes that I just mentioned we do uh, on our back office site. And if RPA is your only answer, then I'm a bit concerned because it's almost like mm-hmm. doing the things right. So you are optimizing. But then I believe in the long-term perspective, you need to think about how to get rid of, reinvent the processes to be truly digital. So how to get the right things. And then I believe RPA, it's a nice solution for a medium-term perspective when you want to optimize your cost and maybe release your scarce resources so that they could work on going forward how to make it digital. So instead of having these manual processes, you would rather build that into the application logic, expose APIs and have that more process-based. So again, RPA, especially unattended, is very good. But if it's the only response that the company is having, then it means that the company could be only managing for a short and medium-term perspective. And we have very positive experience. So we are using QiPath for that. We have spent a number of robots. But again, we go slowly but surely. First attended robots, then the value is so-so. Then you go unattended, and then you have the beauty of robotics because you really have your digital twins, so uh, employees that are helping you out and that could do that uh, 24-7. But equally so, we are using the people that have functional business experience coming from operations and engineers from IT that together reinvent the processes so that they are uh, becoming more digital. And this is then the right thing to do. What is your view on a robot for everybody, uh, where everybody has robots and where people can use their own low-code, no-code tools and where you have citizens development? I can imagine in a highly regulated, highly secure environment like you're in, that's not an obvious thing. What's your vision on that? I'm positive on that uh, because again, you need to think what is your starting position very often and that's our case you have a lot of you know funny visual basic macros and office type of tools that sometimes bite into your core processes and you don't want to do that because it's not professional so the citizen development 
It's actually a way to professionalize the IT for all. So if done properly, so it needs to be a service coming from IT on the platform of our choice with the rules, identity access management, proper monitoring. But there I'm actually more than happy to allow more and more non-technical users uh, to be a wannabe coders, coders because it helps us, especially if they focus yep. on something that is, you know, repetitive task or something that is only applicable for a particular team. But again, in a controlled way, as you mentioned, and there are some tricks and first time ever, we have very good technologies coming from our partners that are the same technologies that we use for workplace solutions. I will not reveal the name, but it comes very handy uh, with the ecosystem mm -hmm. and the users like that. So we already started. Yeah, because once you start to automate more and you have people automating more, you need to manage these, this, you need to control it, you need to standardize, like, uh, like you say. But again, you choose your platform. Now, so we have one platform, if that's a business process, this is the platform, this is the how-to, that is how you show do that. And you have some checklists and you have some manual videos and you have some controls. If that's an IT process, then you might have a different yeah. platform to standardize that. So if the choices are explicit, coming from architecture based on principles, and you have a controls for that and you offer that as an ecosystem, so you, you are your own app store towards your business uh, customers, then I believe you have the beauty of freedom and engagement and all the power of the brains of our employees and still be in control. Okay. Do you also see if, uh, that everybody will have their own personal robots and, and that they will, it's, it's like you said, Excel and macros and that, that we all be taking the robot out of, out of ourselves and that the boring stuff is, is uh, that we can all automate our boring stuff? I believe we would all augment ourselves, but that's almost like, you know, the cyberpunk scenario. So I read today ah, in the morning that Microsoft uh, has struck a big deal with US Army for the HoloLens. So the next edition would actually help soldiers on the battlefield to do the number crunching, so to process the data, so to augment uh, the skills. And that's the perfect pair, I believe. So you use your creativity, you use your moral judgment, and you use your social skills, while the data crunching and the heavy lifting is done by technology. So if you pair it like that, yep. then I believe you have all kinds of use cases, not only for the business purposes, but you see it's even in the military business. Think about hospitals and the telemedicine that is already, again, COVID has accelerated uh, that. Yep. Do you see that or are you uh, working with combination of, uh, of RPA and artificial intelligence where you can make the, the smart robots that can start to think a little bit for themselves? Indeed, that's what we do. So for example, in the business process monitoring, so we start to feed our robots with data and then you see some patterns and then you could detect some abnormal activities. Okay, normally, like it's 10 a.m. at this part uh, of the day, we should have these patterns of traffic. So let's say that the UK okay. market is starting and at the same time you have this batch processing so you could spot something abnormal. And then that helps you with resilience. The same on the cyber uh, defense. So you do all kinds of forensics and pattern recognition. The same on the business side. So you could spot some irregularities in liquidity position. So you could offer that as insights to your customers. Mm -hmm. So again, so first you automate the process, then you put the robot, then you gather data points, and only then you could have some intelligence to offer. So it goes hands in hand. I believe it's a maturity transformation. Okay, great. Enough about robots. Let's <laughs> talk about the uh, IT within, uh, within Euroclear. You said that US is 2,000, 2,500 people. How, how are they organized? You say more by product groups already or you're in this transformation. Let's talk a bit about your organizational model of the, uh, uh, your current organizational model of today and how you see that evolving. We're changing. As mentioned, it's, you caught us in the middle of the journey. It used to be quite traditional. Mm -hmm. So the application teams, so the functional world, the infrastructure technology teams, so the non-functional world, and all kinds of frictions and handover. Again, for traditional well-described business, it goes good as gold. But because of the business changes I mentioned, we are also changing. So in practice, we are making the organizations flatter, 
We are building the teams around logical services and we want to have the value chain. From the product owner on the business side to portfolio making the big bets for 3-5 years perspective, business IT working together into QBR, so quarterly business planning, and then the delivery teams. So we try to break the silos to the extent it's possible to make sure that we have the security engineers, the technology engineers, the application guys, the architects working hand in hand with technology partners. Are we there yet? So are we super successful? No, not yet, because we are changing the model and it's actually very hard because sometimes it's easier to standardize by platform because you have scale and competence effects. Sometimes it's easier to offer the value chain, but maybe it's a more expensive proposal. So you need to maneuver. And again, at the end of the day, business show decide where do you put uh, the slider? Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say breaking the silos because we, we just interviewed um, the CIO of Webasto and, and his personal tagline nowadays is breaking the silos um, because this, this is, uh, is, is happening in, in many organizations. Let's talk a little bit um, Michal, let's talk a little bit about your role. What is it that fundamentally you have done over the last couple of years? You're now there two and a half years. What has been the, your role today and how do you see that evolve in the, in the future? Fundamentally, I'm injecting energy and technology into the company that is moving from traditional type of processing of rather well-described business products into building more strategic capability for the business that could be used to explore new business lines, so to build new revenue. Practically, we are moving to a cloud model. So if you would go into my room or to the floors of IT guys, then you will see a lot of Star Wars posters, amongst others, but you will see we are becoming a cloud company. It doesn't mean that we offload everything to public cloud. It means that we are using the mindset and the techniques of cloud companies internally. So we simplify yeah. our offerings, we streamline our technology stacks, we invest in end-to-end -end automation. So we are managing by the version of the code, both infrastructure and applications. We are fast in delivery cycles. We are transparent via Scrum or Kanban walls. We are very close to their business and we inject skills so we also require more communication skills, indeed breaking the silos, and we require more technology savviness. So that is in the essence what IT is building as capabilities that could be used yeah. by the business side. And again, we go hand in hand together. So you have big teams that you are clear. What is, um, let's talk a little bit about the, your or, or the company's management style as well. How do you, how are people and how do you manage your teams at, uh, at Euroclear? That is also changing, I have to say. So it used to be quite traditional and hierarchical, I would admit that. For the mm -hmm. industry that is highly regulated, of course, you are prudent, you are well in control. So you pay a lot of attention to the processes, to the controls. You have a large risk management organization. So second line of defense, you have large third line of defense, internal audit, and you shall be always in control and be able to prove that. And that organization sometimes could be a bit inflexible. So people are maybe not entrepreneur enough. So we are finding the right balance of giving empowerment, freedom and ability for people to speak up and to deliver the services and, and be more hands-on while maintaining the control. So maybe changing the way that we prove that we are in control. And in line with that, the leadership style is changing, of course. The buzzword of today would be the servant leadership. And I'm doing a lot of LinkedIn type of series on that because I truly believe that it's also a challenge, I believe for leaders like myself. So to change the mindset, you shall not be, you know, the guru, the one that calls all the sh uh, shots and have to mastermind the solution. You are more a people manager and really almost like behind your team, helping them to grow. And that is really yeah. necessary if you operate in the world that is unpredictable. That's the only way to go. And that is how we are evolving right now. You like to write, you like to write uh, stories, you like to write blogs on, on, on leadership. What, what does it bring you that, that you take the time to, to put out uh, the, these ideas in words? I'm actually always thinking that 
I don't care if anyone is reading that uh, because it helps me to <laughs> formulate my own thoughts. So I read a lot of books mm. and I try to inspire myself by various uh, leaders of my choosing. And it helps me to also refine my own thoughts. And then it's actually sometimes easier mm. to write that down because that could spark a discussion. Sometimes internally, so within my own direct reports or between my own peers. And sometimes I have a good catch up with some colleagues uh, that just raise the hand because they are also equally interested. Or maybe they have the opposite opinion yeah. or actually similar one. So I tend to like it and I shall continue. And you use a Star Wars metaphor for, for some of your writings, right? You know what, Star Wars, it's not that I'm such a super fan of that, but I like that and I'm using that especially in the current job, but I did that also before back at ING, because it helps to open up the people. There are some universal values that work in any culture, in any geography, that show, you know, this force in the galaxy because we are the Jedi Knights. And then you ask people, okay, to open up, to have no fear, to reach out towards each other, to overcome the obstacles, to actually manage their personal growth. Because sometimes there's a fear if you create too much technology gap. So you show, okay, this is who mm -hmm. we are and that's our ambition level. So left as such, that could be too technocratic. Then you'd have a bit of the opposite effect. So people would be afraid. So what is there for me? How could I ever reach that state? So then you work a lot on the culture and this is where I'm using Star Wars. Okay, so like have no fear, open up. I don't know all the answers as well. So I'm vulnerable, but let's go there together. And that actually brings a lot of positive energy and that is why I love that. Okay, let's talk about your leadership style. Um, and, and maybe start with what are the leaders that you look up to? Where, where do you get your inspiration and how would you define your own leadership style? I love the leaders that combine very high self-awareness and emphasis on growing people and developing them with a clear technology drive. And it's a very hard combination. So of course, like uh, I would love Elon Musk and I'm fascinated by all the mission to Mars and what he's doing with SpaceX, with Tesla, that, that's just respectable. Uh, I like Jeff Bezos and like the, you know, the master of e-commerce. It's actually amazing what, what's happening with Amazon uh, these days. I also like the way that Microsoft is reinventing itself very fast uh, these days. Yeah. Uh, we all love Steve Jobs, uh, I believe, but are these also the leaders that are best in treating and growing people? I sometimes have some doubts on that. Yeah? Some of these uh, characters are a bit controversial. So then I'm looking at the culture, which I love in Netflix or Spotify. So if I look at these companies and their leaders, this is what is very much appealing to me because it's very integral with who I believe I am. So there's no okay. one what do you think? person that combines all. It's actually a big challenge. Okay. And what do you think the people around you that you work with, what do you think they will say about you and your leadership style when you're not around? When they're free to talk, what do they say about you? <laughs> I'm not a good one to answer, but next week I'm taking the vacation and I believe uh, most of my guys would say, yes, finally. So we have one week of quiet time <laughs> because I'm sometimes receiving the comments like, Michal, we all love you, but could you like slow down? Like, you know, do some horse riding or running, so leave us alone <laughs> because it's a bit too much. Uh, we are fascinated and that's a very appealing uh, journey. But like hold mm -hmm. your horses one at a, uh, at a time. So I believe I'm the one that brings a lot of energy, a lot of drive. And I'm also very much taking responsibility for that. So I'm a bit of this shepherd dog taking care of my guys. But at the same time, I could be maybe bringing too many ideas at the same time. Okay, let's talk a bit more about your personality. You shared with us your MBTI profile. We know it's not 100% uh, scientific but still it's a very nice self-assessment. And, uh, and, and you've done the test and you are an ESFJ. Uh, so that is uh, also known as a console, uh, which is a person that is extroverted, observant, feeling, judging. Um, they are attentive, they're people focused and they enjoy taking part in their social community. Um, people with this personality uh, profile, typically they have the following strengths. They have strong practical skills, strong sense of duty, very loyal, sensitive and warm, and they're good at connecting with others. 
do you recognize yourself in these and, uh, and, and, or not? To be honest, yes. I'm doing a lot of these tests. So the inside profile, MBTI and the swords. And to be honest with you, I recognize myself in both the positive side and the, in the negative side. So on the positive, yes, as mentioned, I think about myself as this Jedi master or shepherd's dog or consul. So the one that cares, but also the one that sets the direction and the one that always have optimism to go for that. So I could be never let mm -hmm. down or never distracted. So I'm almost like restless. And for me, like sky is the limit, I would always make it. And I believe this enthusiasm is helping a lot of people. But equally so, again, I'm very prudent and loyal. So I tend to work quite a lot mm -hmm. because I really feel responsible, especially for the transformations that I'm personally driving. So that's a bit, you know, the flip yep. side. Well, on the, on the flip side, on the dark side of your personality, uh, the potential weaknesses of people with your personality profile is that they're worried about their social status. Sometimes they can be inflexible, they can be reluctant to innovation or to improvisation, uh, vulnerable to criticism or sometimes too selfless. There must be a couple of these that you recognize maybe in your past self that you have overcome. So where has been your personal growth in, uh, in these areas? I need to watch out not to be stubborn and the stubbornness it's not mm -hmm. coming from arrogance that I believe I have all the answers and I'm the smartest one in the room but it's just I'm very much focused on the vision and very much feeling personally responsible to deliver the results and now yeah. growing into years I'm becoming more aware of that and my response is to actually be more inclusive so ask more why questions and making sure that I onboard everyone or maybe I change my opinion because maybe I wasn't right in the first place. So admitting my mistakes and actually making sure that I get all the inputs, it's my learning. And again, on, on a bit of humble side, the change of the job also helped me because I changed the culture, I changed the work environment, I joined the company that I didn't knew anyone before. So I had to be more attentive. So I'm working on my listening skills. So try to speak a bit less and listen a bit more. And that actually, I believe it's much appreciated and this is still my learning point. Yeah. Michal, you're still very young. Early 40s, you already made quite a career, have a top job. Um, and you also um, did your um, personal development NLP program uh, already 10 years ago. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, most people will know NLP. I've did it myself. What are the things that you learned from that? Well, how did that change you as a, as a person and as a professional? The biggest uh, revelation is that we are all biased. So we all Mm -hmm. like to think about ourselves that we are rational, but we are actually not. So we have some prejudices, we have some convictions, and most of the conflicts or discrepancies are actually stemming from the fact that we use the same words or we believe that we mean the same, but it's actually not the case. So doing courses like NLP and some other psychology courses actually helps you to understand your own so-called uncourse. So how do you position yourself? So what are your opinions? And why you find it easy to cooperate with certain type of profiles and you have some hardships despite many efforts to work with the other profiles. I tend to be, for example, over-rational. Like, okay, I have my arguments right. So this is the arguments this is the outcome it's an iron logic you, you cannot question that but you see it doesn't matter because you need to go a bit deeper into the human nature to understand okay why are you hesitant in most of the cases mm -hmm. we have fear we have fear that we are losing control we have fear that maybe we are not competent we have fear that we need to do something that is not popular so understanding that on this layer helps you to create stronger bonds with other people, but also understand your own reactions because sometimes you react with anger or sometimes you are a bit depressed and you want to understand why that has happened. And maybe instead of pointing to external factors, you need to look inside yourself. So I believe it gives you more depth of thinking. And again, for the people that are very result oriented, very quick, it's actually much needed because then you slow down a bit and understand. Okay. Let's talk a bit about your values. Um, I mean, we talked about the, the Star Wars values, the values of the Jedi Master and, and so on, but what are your, your personally most important values that you live by? 
one of the enlightenment some years ago, and I love reading books, I'm a bit boring on that side. Uh, so there was a book called Drive by Daniel Pink. And then he came up with something what I would call a psychological bedrock of all the agile techniques. And then Daniel had this concept that we are looking fundamentally for autonomy, purpose and mastery. And that is what brings a so-called intrinsic motivation. And then I realized, okay, that's who I am. So I love freedom. I like to be given objectives. I like to be given challenges. I actually strive on challenges. I could be complaining that I have too much work to do. Uh, but in a way, I like that. So autonomy means yep. that people trust me and I could be on my own so decide what is the way to get there. Then the purpose needs that I always need to see the big picture. I cannot just focus on something without understanding okay, how does that relate to what do we want to achieve? What is the why? So tell me the bigger story because otherwise I wouldn't be able to focus and be fully engaged. And mastery, I believe we all want to be professionals. So we want to grow and we want to make sure that we are improving day after day. So if you look at my values or my convictions, then that would be these three. And I believe the book got it just spot right. And then I understood that all the techniques of Agile, DevOps, and all the frameworks that we use in IT these days, that's fundamentally relying on this bedrock. So the autonomy, the freedom, yep. the purpose, so the why question, and as per like Simon Sinek books, which I love as well, and mastery. So we want to be really good in what we are doing. Okay. Now you work very hard. That's clear. I mean, you're very focused, very driven. Uh, and we, we all work much harder and more intense um, now that, that we're working from home and are behind our screens so many, many hours uh, a day. So what, I, what, I, what is your way to relax? Where, how, do you, how do you make time for yourself and how do you fill that in? Where do you get the most energy out? What kind of activities do you do in your, uh, in your spare time? Yes, indeed, we work quite a lot. Uh, so Hendrik, I wouldn't be original here. I do a lot of sports and I love nature. So sports, in my profile, I don't do anything perfect, but I'm interested in a wide variety. So I love horse riding, I'm doing scuba diving, I'm doing mountain climbing, I do running, cycling, uh, trekking, all of that, and that really turns me on. So whenever possible, mm -hmm. I'm trying to plan this one week, you know, like total reset type of vacations that I'm doing something so intensively that I'm actually not thinking about any work or any challenges. I'm just here and now. And then we also love nature. So together with my wife, we are all, always looking for the secret locations when you could go to a bit of paradise, which could be a mountain range, Southeast Poland, or could be a nice archipelago in Indonesia when you could do scuba diving. So these type of things are what I'm normally looking forward to. But what is special is you, you go horse riding in Andalusia. That's quite special, no? Everything going well in less than 24 hours <laughs> from this interview. <laughs> we should be there indeed down in Spain. And that's a trip with a bunch of friends in a secret hideout, so remote village in the middle of nowhere, when you only have the stable. And that's, again, my style. So all the days we are going to do full day trip on a horseback. And that's yep. indeed what keeps me on. That's a, that's a very good way to, de to deconnect, right? From, from our digital world always onward. So let's take a step back. And, and um, if you look at your life, um, Michal, what is the, the best thing that has ever happened to you? What is that you're most grateful uh, for in your life? I'm grateful by many things because I believe I'm lucky by nature. So I mm -hmm. have excellent parents and very nice, uh, you know, upbringing. Uh, so that is the source of energy. Then I have a loving wife, which is also strengthening me. And I met a lot of people in my professional career that were my mentors or supporters that I could cling to and they helped me grow or they helped me to put into the new challenges. So I'm actually grateful mm -hmm. for all of that. Actually, deep inside, I'm very optimistic and very happy for what I've received. So I try to return yep. the favor to the world of being optimist and also helping to grow other people because I believe that's our obligation as, as human beings. I cannot pinpoint yep. to one particular item, but again, 
I met a lot of tremendous people that were always very friendly. So I could be on the point of being naive, assuming that everyone is actually very good by nature. So that's the Jedi side. Okay. So you had a, a, a lot of luck in your life. You had a great life, uh, great uh, upbringing and so on. But we all have our traumas and things that, are, that, that happen to us that are not so good. So what is the worst thing that has ever happened to you and how did you overcome that? What did you learn from that? I would maybe focus on the professional life. Like what were the moments of hardships? Uh, so one was in 2009, so right after the financial crisis. We're starting this technology center for ING and the big promise was that we are going to connect insurance and banking because there are some synergies. So we are going to build some yep. transversal services and get the scale effect. And I still remember that I was in the plane flying to Amsterdam for a big meeting when we were going to discuss business case and you know I was well prepared like with all the growth trajectories. And then I landed at Skipho and then I actually learned in the newspapers that ING decided to divest from insurance. And you know, like all my like professional life was ruined because I literally didn't know what to do. So I was there with my laptop at the airport and like, okay, just doesn't make sense. So I could go for a beer with my colleagues, but business-wise, everything that we were building for has just been rendered obsolete, which was again, mm -hmm. with the hindsight, that was a good push forward to do something more engineering or something of more value than just you know standardizing and focusing on cost containment. But then it was very hard on me because then I came back to Poland and like, okay, it looks like I need to fire the whole team because it's not needed anymore. Wow. Another big defining element was uh, the agile transformation. And actually I had that in my current job in Belgium. So we come to the company that is well respected. Everything works by the book. And people are generally, if it's not broken, why would you fix that? Yeah. And then you try to make all the harsh decisions that maybe are not that much appreciated or understandable. So you have your social partners, you have so your employees, you have your peers. And you know, some of them would say, why do you do that to me? And then you really seriously take personal responsibility for that while you are full of doubts. Am I not over-exaggerating? Yep. Is that the right thing to do? So I literally had some sleepless nights and I'm talking about several nights because, okay, I'm making and breaking some careers mm -hmm. or changing some services. So is that truly good for the company? Because of course I believe so, but is that really the case? And then you're sometimes yep. feeling very much alone as the leader, not knowing if that's a good course of action. Because again, you see these people with like, you know, fear in their eyes. And now like two years going forward, that's again a very positive story, but you know, that cost me a lot of nerves. So I literally even have some like medical situation when I was extremely stressed. Is that the right thing to do? Okay, thank you for sharing that. Now, Michal, can you share with us, what is, what is your personal mantra? What, are, what, are, what is the conviction that you live by? What is it that helps you to make your decision? Well, that's, uh, that was not a good question. So, Michal, can you share with us what is your personal mantra? As a big Star Wars fan, <laughs> I would tend to say, may the force be with you, because I truly believe in that. Uh, we once did a True North Institute. So what is the thing that is really your intrinsic motivation or what is your role model, whom you would like to be? And then I actually came up with mine which is to become Master Yoda by generating a constant flow of positive energy. And the more I think about that, the more accurate that is. So I actually tend to use a lot of Star Wars quotes, always related with the force is strong with you, or uh, you will do that with the help of the force, because that brings a lot of positive energy because people are then more self-confident, more enthusiastic and more positive. So that's like make it happen, but in a very friendly manner. Okay. Last question of this uh, interview, um, Michal, and thank you for sharing all your visions and, and your inspiration and so on. Um, these interviews are being watched by a, a younger audience as well. People that are ambitious uh, and that want to be CTO, CIO in the future. So what is your advice to your younger self from 10, 15 years ago or to young ambitious technology uh, people that, um, that want to create a career like yours, what are the things that you would advise them? 
I'm not a guru by any means, but maybe a personal thing. So one of the most touching things I've ever seen was the late Steve Jobs doing the famous Stanford University pitch when he was physically being weakened by the disease and, you know, like almost seeing the end of it. And then he coined the famous phrase like, stay hungry, stay foolish. And that actually was an eye-opener for me because I understood that this is what should drive, especially the younger people. So all the boundaries you have, like all the ceilings that you imagine are only in your mind. So never stop exploring. So always challenge yourself, Mm -hmm. go out of the comfortable zone and just keep trying. And that would work for you. So don't be afraid, have no fear. So use the force, as I would tend to say. Okay, and with that, Michal, Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to uh, meeting you soon again in real life in Brussels or in Warsaw. And, uh, and then let's have a beer together, right? That would be perfect. That's the plan, Henry. Thank you. Thank you.